Well, welcome everyone to this uh, service this morning. Um, I see the weather is attempting to break out there. There may be some skerricks of blue sky by the end of the service. So we'll see if that, uh, for the moment anyway, uh, we'll see if that uh, comes to fruition. Uh, again, welcome to any visitors we actually have here today. Uh, welcome to our service. Um, if you are visiting, uh, you may see a blue card in the, uh, in the pews near you. Uh, we'd love it if you could actually fill that in. Uh, it just allows us to touch base with you um, through the week and, uh, and, uh, and speak to you. So please uh, feel free to uh, complete one of those and uh, hand, to, uh, hand to Josh uh, or drop in at the back uh, on the way out uh, this morning. Uh, we do have to have morning tea uh, following, uh, following the service um, and uh, we would love to catch up with you after the service. Um, so please, uh, please avail yourself that opportunity as well. Uh, toilets are in the hall, uh, just to make you aware of that and those details are also contained in the pupils in which you would have received on the way in this morning. So, this morning, a call to worship. Again, I'm going to read uh, Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. We're going to continue our service this morning in, uh, in song, uh, Come People of the Risen King.
As, uh, as, you, uh, as we um, now come to prayer and our prayer and praise and confession, David Hunt will lead us. Thanks, David. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege we have in coming before you to pray and to praise your name. We praise you, our Father, that you are Lord of all. You are the one who was from all eternity. You are now, and you will be for all eternity. Everything exists because of your will. You've created all things. Indeed, all honour and power and glory and might are due to you, our Father. We may well ask with Isaiah, who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who's marked off the heavens? Who has calculated the dust of the earth by their measure and weighed the mountains? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord to become his counsellor? With whom did you consult or who gave you understanding? Nations are a drop in the bucket to you. All nations, there is nothing. To whom will we liken you, our Lord and God and Father? You reduce rules to nothing. You are the sovereign Lord of all. We praise and thank you. And we thank you that we have come to hear good news from you, news of salvation, of rescue, of hope through our Lord Jesus Christ. We confess our arrogance, our ignorance, thinking that you do not know our ways, thinking that we can control our lives, thinking that you do not see or care, thinking perhaps at times that you cannot or will not save us or care for us. We confess our lack of trust in going our own way. And we admit at times we despair that we can never change. We thank you for the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, his ascension, that he is the Lord. Help us, Father, to turn from our sin and to trust him, to keep trusting in him. We thank you that you do not become weary and that you promise to renew our strength. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you call us, the weary, the heavy laden, to come to you. Thank you for the rest you promise and give. May we take your yoke upon ourselves, knowing that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And we pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks, David. Uh, we'll continue our service in song with this hit song, All Creatures Over God and King. Please stand.
as you came in uh, this morning, you would have uh, received a, a pew bulletin uh, such as this. Uh, a couple of a uh, couple of uh, notices to make you aware of. Uh, in particular, firstly, uh, picnic in the park will be picnic in the hall today, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, grab some lunch and come and join us in the hall after after the service this morning, after morning tea this morning. Um, I note, uh, yes, Josh is going to mention that one. We also uh, welcome David Wilcox here this morning uh, from Compassion. Uh, that's our mission focus for May, and David will be speaking to us shortly. I think, uh, Walter, you, uh, not Walter, Josh, you have a message. Can I just write that? Yes, thank you. Morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to see you, and it's good to see so many of us gathered here on this uh, kind of wet morning. Uh, one of the things that we as a church family uh, want to grow in over the next three years is that we want to grow in outreach. Uh, we want to use our energies and our efforts and our time and our money to reach people with the good news of Jesus. Uh, we want to do it here in our local community, you and I equipped and trained to go out and share the gospel. And we want to support the work of outreach around the world as people around the world are proclaiming the good news of Jesus to places where his name has not yet been heard and people have not yet heard the gospel. And so we as a church want to grow in outreach. And, uh, and so you'll see on, uh, on the bulletin sheet there, we are going to have an outreach brainstorming meeting next Sunday after church. What I want to know is, are you revved up about outreach? Uh, do you have some good ideas about how we can reach people with the gospel or how we can spend our money for the sake of reaching people with the gospel or ideas how we can be trained to reach people with the gospel we want to hear it we want you so uh, next Sunday after church, uh, please, you will grab a cuppa and a bicky or something and we'll meet back here in the church and that'll be an opportunity for us to hear some ideas from you and think together about how we can grow in outreach and mission as a church. So please pencil that in your calendar, make it a priority. It would be great to have you there. Thanks. Thanks, Josh. Uh, as I mentioned before, David Wilcox from Passion Australia is actually uh, is speaking this morning to us to bring us the message of uh, what Compassion uh, Australia is about. And I'd ask uh, David to come forward. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Josh and Wall and, and to the elders for just uh, giving me a little bit of time this morning. Um, it's such a privilege to represent compassion and to encourage you as a church as you might consider how you could uh, release children from poverty in Jesus' name. For those who might recognise my name, uh, the connection may have been through Highlands Church or Voice FM here in Toowoomba or maybe church connections around here in Toowoomba. Uh, I'm married to Judith who's here with me this morning. Uh, I'm a dad to four and I've got uh, a daughter-in-law and a son-in-law and a grandson. And uh, I've got three kind of extra family members as well that you can see up here. Uh, at the top, Queen, who uh, we've sponsored, she's in the Philippines. And Maverick, he's about uh, 18, just turned 19. And uh, Shanda, who is in Indonesia. Now, I don't want to presume that uh, you actually know a whole lot about compassion. So I want to start with a little bit of history, if I can. 
In the 1950s, Presbyterian minister uh, Everett Swanson flew from Chicago to South Korea and he was there to minister to the American troops that were fighting in the Korean War. And uh, during that time there, he actually became aware of hundreds of war orphans that were living on the streets. And one morning, uh, he saw the city workers out on the streets bundling up piles of rags and tossing them into the back of a truck. However, he was then really horrified to see that they were actually not piles of rags, but they were the bodies of orphans who had died in the streets overnight. And Swanson vowed that he was going to find a way to help these, these kids that were on the street, uh, living in Korea at the time of the war. And so he started including these experiences of Korea in his revival meetings back in the States. And Christians responded by donating funds to purchase rice and fuel for the kids. And soon after, Swanson developed a sponsorship program so that people could help support these orphans. And that sponsorship money that was being given was being spent on Bible lessons and food and clothing and shelter and medical aid. And that was the beginning of Compassion International. And their heart to bring Christ to vulnerable children has never changed in the 70 years since. Compassion still seeks to change the lives of the world's most vulnerable children by responding to their social, their emotional, their physical and their spiritual needs. So Compassion at its very core is Christ-centred, it's child-focused and it's church-based. And it relies on people just like you and just like me who are willing to sacrifice something relatively small to change the lives of kids now and potentially into eternity. The work of compassion takes place in countries where poverty is extreme. And in the last past couple of years, uh, it's become even more critical thanks to COVID, which has actually supercharged poverty. The reality is that extreme poverty has actually been on the decline for the past 20 years. But in the last two years, that's entirely changed. And there's an estimated 150 million more people living in poverty now than two years ago. And that's pretty sobering, isn't it? That is six times Australia's population who are now living in poverty thanks to the effects of COVID. The need to support the world's most poverty-stricken remains incredibly important. Now, I wonder whether you've ever had a time in your life where God's opened an unexpected door. That actually happened for me a few years ago when he gave me the chance to travel to the Philippines with compassion. And I went three times in, that, in those couple of years. Now, Judith and I have sponsored kids for a long time. But I, I have to say, I didn't really know what Compassion did on the ground in the countries around the world, how the whole process worked. And on those trips over to the Philippines, I discovered how God is working in the lives of children. And he threw open the door of an invitation for me to partner with him in all of that. So one of the greatest blessings that I've had was to be able to visit one of my sponsor kids twice during those trips that I was over there. And that's pretty much unheard of, that opportunity. So let me introduce you to Maverick. His dad, Rick, who you can see in the centre there, uh, he's out of work. His mum actually works and lives in the United Arab Emirates, and she only gets home once every couple of years. She's there supporting the family by earning money and sending it back. 
Maverick's got four brothers, and they live in a house that's about four by five metres. Now, if you think about it, that's about the size of this platform, probably a little bit smaller. And it's right down the end of the, the walkway that you can see there. Maverick's a, a really quiet young man, and he's exploring what it means to, to wrap his life around God's plans and learning how to love God first and foremost. I've had the, the privilege of actually meeting the compassion workers from the church just around the corner from where Maverick lives. And they're catering for his physical, emotional, educational and spiritual needs. And they've done that since he was really small. And his life is what it is today because of them. And my sponsorship of Maverick actually helps them to be able to do that. I counted it a privilege to graft Maverick into my life and into my family's life for this season of his life. And my life, I've got to say, just feels a whole lot fuller and more complete because I get to, to share my life and I get to share Jesus with him. And we write letters backwards and forwards to each other. And the cool thing is, he actually encourages me by sending me Bible passages in those letters. How awesome is that? The compassion workers and I have really different roles to play in his life, but together we've actually been given the opportunity to see where God's working in Maverick's life. But that's how it should be, isn't it? God using his people here on earth to plant and to nurture and to bring about a harvest in his name. I want to play a video for you. It's about a sponsor, compassion sponsor in Perth, who's got a child that she sponsors in Indonesia. Let me introduce you to two mums, Andrea and Nova, and their family connection. technical things. We'll come back to the video in a second because I don't want to take more time than we need to. When, you, when we get to, to hear the video, um, you're actually going to hear uh, the, the lady in Australia, that's Andrea, she's talking about sponsoring Gavin, this child in Indonesia. And she talks about being so much more than just an amount of money. She actually talks about the fact that she's sponsoring a family, that she's loving a family. You'll be able to hear that. I thank God for you. In ways words and when I get smiled, I feel connected to you. I see your smiles on my son's face as you read to others. Life is so fragile and precious. 
see you, and can't wait to see you. Your family and life is a blessing to mine. I want to thank you for thinking and praying for my family from across the oceans. sponsoring a child but sponsoring a family, loving a family. Uh, that sponsorship probably is the most incredible thing you can do with your life. That's what Andrea said. The way that it impacts not just the child but the family. And that's the power of sponsorship. It's personal and it's God-directed. And the reality is that while a child is sponsored, what Compassion has discovered is actually the whole family who are touched by the, fam by the gospel. So my privilege today is to encourage you, to encourage you to prayerfully consider whether you've got the capacity to change the life of one child. Maybe you're not sponsoring a child and you feel that God's calling you to do so. Or maybe you have the capacity to graft another precious life into your family. Maybe it could be someone like Timo. This is Timo. He lives in Indonesia. He's 10 years old. His uh, dad's a farm worker. Uh, he loves ball games and uh, he goes to Sunday school and he's actually been waiting for a sponsor for 740 days over two years. $48. Just $48 a month is what it costs to sponsor a child. That's about the same as a couple of takeaway coffees every week, isn't it? 
However, that $48 investment has the potential to change a child's life, their world, maybe their eternity. Now, if you'd like to partner with local churches as they reach out to some of the world's most vulnerable kids and their families, then I'd love to be able to catch up with you after church today. I'll have uh, Timo's details uh, along with a whole lot of other kids. And uh, I've got an area set up in the hall where you can come and have a look at those kid profiles. Pages just like this. Each one with a, a child that could be sponsored. So again, I want to thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to be here today. Uh, I really do count it a privilege. I want to be able to encourage you to prayerfully consider sponsoring a child and let God take you on a journey, just like he did for me, like he does for so many others. That journey of linking you with a child and maybe even your family with their family. You and compassion together fighting poverty in Jesus' name. Can I pray for you as I finish up? Father, I just want to thank you for these people here who are so faithful in being a part of this church and reaching out into the community. I thank you for those that are already sponsoring kids here in this church. Lord, I want to pray for all of those kids around the world that are being cared for by Compassion Projects worldwide. I pray that you would continue to reach into those lives, into those families, and bring about change, change that you want to see. Father, I want to pray too that you would continue to raise up mighty men and women of faith who will pray for and fight for the needs of the most vulnerable in our world. Amen. Thanks so much. As mentioned before, this month our, uh, our mission focus is uh, Compassion Australia. We'll now take up our collection for the Lord and for his work here in uh, St. Uh, St. John's. Um, note that uh, we do have uh, internet banking and a number of our members uh, do take that up. Uh, if you're a, a, a visitor here, we have no expectation that you, uh, that you uh, give, to our, uh, give to our offering. Uh, this is pr primarily for our own membership. So let's, uh, let's give to the Lord. Let us bow our heads in dedication. Um, to the Lord. Loving God, we come to you in thanksgiving knowing that all we are and all we have is a gift from you and in faith and love help us to do your will. We are listening. Lord God, speak your words in the depths of our souls that we may hear you clearly. We offer you to you this day all the facets of our lives to be patient, to be merciful, to be generous, to be holy. Give us the wisdom and insight to understand your will for us and a fervour to carry out our good intentions. We offer our gifts of time, talent and possessions to you as a true act of faith to reflect our love for you and our neighbour. Help us to reach out to others as you, our God, have reached out to us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Rightio. It's time for Josh. Kids, time to the kids up. Tell them grab a seat up the front. I'm going to get a couple of things organised. 
kids. How are you going today? Are you ding or bum-bum? Ding. Ding. Bum-bum. Oh, no. Ding. Oh, good. Phew. Oh, it is good to see you this morning, kids. Uh, who can remember our not-Christmas present? Me. You can remember our not-Christmas present? Do you remember how we talked about this and how God, when he rescued his people out of Egypt, he was giving them a great gift. Do you remember that? A present. Who can remember some of the bits of that present? Can you? A land. A land. Yes, I've got the land here. He was giving them a land, a beautiful land. Yep, right. Whoops. What else? He does promise that he will be with them. I want to come back to that one in a second. What else? A big family, a, a great blessing. Come and grab a seat up the front here. That's great. Uh, and he promised, as Hasbana said, that he would be with them, uh, like a dad, with his kid. And I want to tell you this morning about another present that God gave them, another gift, and that was that God said that he would make a covenant with them. Now, a covenant, that's a bit of a funny word, isn't it? But it's actually really cool. It's a promise that God made that he would be with them and they would be his people. It was like God promising that they were going to be part of his family. But do you know what? They needed to know how to live as part of his family. How should they live if they're part of God's family, if they're in relationship with God? How can they know? What do you reckon? They can trust God, definitely. But uh, God gave them another gift so that they could know how to live with him. Are you ready? I've got it hidden back here. It's actually two. Did you like my stone tablets? <laughs> I know, they're really heavy. But good thing I'm really strong, hey? Uh, you know, Jess made these stone tablets. They're not the originals. I'll just break it to you. Um, but, uh, but God told them how they could live as his people. He said that they should love him and love others. He said, I am your God. I rescued you from Egypt, so love me and love others. And then he gave them some instructions about how they can do that. And I want you guys to help me to open these little tabs up so we can see where his instructions were. Can you come and open one up, please? You open the top one here and I'll read it out. Ah, first, don't have other gods. God rescued them from Egypt. He was to be their only God. That's how they love him. All right, someone else can open the next one for me. Okay, that's fun. You open number two. Okay, it says, don't, oh, you want to read it? Yep. Oh, good one, idols. Yeah, that's an odd, tricky. Don't make idols. God said, don't worship me by making pictures of me and then bowing down to them. Don't make idols. All right, Charlie, you want to come and open number three? How do they love God? Don't use my name in vain. Now that means we don't use God's name as a swear word, but it also means if we make promises and we use God's name, we keep our promises. Alright, who's going to open number four for us? So, would you like to open number four? Now, another way they love God, 
They rest on the Sabbath day because I rescued you from slavery. That's what God said. They need to rest. That's how they love Him. See those four ways that they can love God because they're in relationship with God? Alright, now how can they love others? Abby, come, open up. Alright, number five.
good job, kids. You guys can go to uh, St John's Kids now. Thanks, guys. As a church, uh, we not only want to be growing in outreach, but we also want to be growing in prayer. Uh, we want to be a praying church, and so uh, we are going to come to God in prayer now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a loving and merciful God. Thank you that in Jesus we can come to you with confidence. Confidence to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Confidence that we can come to you consistently, persistently, knowing that you hear our prayers and you will answer. Father, as a church family, we value prayer and we desire to be growing in prayer, depending on you. Father, we confess that too often we have been prayerless. We have not delighted on you and depended on you in prayer. We have treated prayer like a chore, not a delight. We have been lacking in our prayer because we have lost sight of the joy of depending on you. Please forgive us for our prayerlessness, Lord. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. Thank you that we can come to you confidently in him, even though we have short, fallen short, because it is about what he has done, not what we do. Please help us to grow in prayer. Help us to see and even relish our dependence on you. Help us to delight in you, enjoying the privilege of coming to you in prayer. Help us to come to you in regular, heartfelt prayer, both individually and together as a church family. Right now, Lord, we come to you in prayer for our church family. We pray for those who are sick or in care. We pray for Gail, David, Jackie, Eileen and John. We pray for Mary, Jarvis, Lloyd, Tom, Joan, Elizabeth, Coral, Anne and Pearl. For those others who are sick and unwell this time. Please sustain them. Please grant healing where it is your will. Please be their strength and encouragement and comfort in their need. And please keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, we pray. We do pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church family to be growing in outreach. Give us wisdom to use our energy and our time and our finances to honour you and to reach out to others with the gospel. Give us courage and boldness to share the gospel with our neighbours and our friends and our families. We do thank you for the provision of rain that you've given over this past week, Lord. Father, we pray for all those who are dealing with flooding at this time those who are affected by the rain. We pray for those who have lost loved ones and we ask your comfort for them. We pray for your wisdom and guidance for emergency services and those who are threatened by the floods. We, Lord, ask your provision and your mercy for them. We pray that this would be a time where they turn to you for help and find out about the great love that you have shown us in the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray for the upcoming election next Saturday. Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom as we consider carefully how to vote, that we would honour you with the way that we spend our vote. 
We ask that those who would do evil would not be elected, and that those who would govern justly and fairly, caring for the vulnerable and needy, doing justice and leading so that we may lead peaceful, quiet, godly and dignified lives. Give us wisdom this week, we pray. We do pray too for the work of compassion. And Lord, we thank you for hearing about your work in the lives of kids. Father, it breaks our heart that many are uh, in terrible poverty and so affected by COVID and things of this world. Father, we're thankful for your people in those local churches where uh, kids are cared for and provided for and the gospel is shared. Father, we ask that you would strengthen the work of compassion, that you would be with those local churches that are proclaiming the gospel and teaching kids. We pray, Lord, that you would provide sponsors for those kids who need them. And we pray, Lord, that many kids and families and communities would hear the gospel through the work of compassion. We thank you for David and we pray for your encouragement in his work of sharing the work of compassion with churches and with others. Father, we do desire that you would be glorified as many from around the world turn to you in faith and trust. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to hear from God's word now. Uh, we're going to read from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Thanks, you, Anne. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 to 22. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in you hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire. While I stood between the Lord and you at the time to declare to you the Lord, word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. 
Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone, and gave them to me. Thank you, Ewan. encourage you to keep your Bibles open and follow along as we work through this passage. I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. As we work through it together, please give us wisdom and understanding. Please use it to point us to Lord Jesus and show us how we should live as your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was about 8 o'clock at night. And the rainforest was almost pitch black. And Jess and I and our three girls, five and under, are picking our way slowly along a path through the cold, dark rainforest. Why were we walking through the cold, dark rainforest with no lights, I hear you ask? Well, we were on holidays in New Zealand and we were on the hunt for glowworms. But the thing about glowworms is that you can't use your torch. It destroys your night vision and it spooks the glowworms. You need to walk in the dark. So here we are, the five of us, very carefully following this light gravel pathway in the dark, marvelling at the beautiful glowworms. You can see a pic of that night, including little Sophia fast asleep in the pram. Yeah, the next day, we walked the same track in the daylight and we realised what we'd done. At points, uh, we had walked past steep banks that had dropped down into the freezing cold creek. We traipsed past kind of muddy bogs. If it wasn't for that gravel path guiding us in the dark, we could have ended up cold, wet and lost. It kept us going the right way. It kept us safe. It led us on the way of life. Here in Deuteronomy, God's people, they're standing at the edge of the promised land, about to finally go in and receive everything that God has promised them. And so Moses, he takes the opportunity to give them his last words, a last reminder of all that the Lord has done for them, a last call to listen to the Lord and obey all that he's commanded, and he sets out before them the blessings if they obey and the curses if they don't. Moses is showing them the path that they should take. What it looks like to live as God's people in relationship with him. These commands, they aren't arbitrary. God is setting before them a way that is safe and good through the dark rainforest of life in the land. A way of life. He's setting before them the good life, the loving life with the living God. 
And we've seen that over the last two weeks as we've heard the story of an unfaithful people and their faithful God. As we've heard Moses calling them to listen to their God, the one who spoke to them from out of the fire, the one who's not seen but heard, one who should be obeyed. That was Moses' first speech. And now this week, Moses starts into his second speech. He's showing them the path of life that God is laying out before them. And he's calling them to obey, to listen up and live. See what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Moses is showing them the path. He's telling God's people that living as God's people in relationship with God means hearing and doing what God says for our good. And we better listen up to this too. Because this isn't just for Israel, this is for us too. This is going to show us what our God is like. Lay the foundation for the whole Old Testament. Point us to Jesus and show us what it looks like to live in relationship with him as his people. But notice that this passage, it doesn't actually start with what the people do. It starts with living from what the Lord has done. First thing the Lord does, the Lord has made a covenant with them. Verse 2, the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. See, God has bound himself in relationship with his people. After he rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, waging war against Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods with ten mighty plagues, he met them at Mount Sinai and he entered into a covenant with them. And a covenant, it's more than a contract. A covenant is a solemn and sacred relationship. It's making official God's relationship with his people. Now, covenants, they were pretty common in the ancient world. Both parties made promises to one another and they sealed it with blood and sacrifice. But the striking thing is that that's what God does with his people. In Exodus 20 to 24, God made promises to his people, called them to obey him, and he sealed his covenant with sacrifices, basically saying... If I am not faithful to my promises, let my blood be spilled too. And the people, they agreed to the covenant. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, they said. Moment of great optimism, I think. See, God has graciously joined himself in formal covenant relationship with his people. But Moses is saying that this isn't just with the people who are standing there on that day. Remember, all that generation is dead now. Moses is saying that this covenant is with all of Israel, all of God's people. And it includes those who are standing before him and now about to enter the land. God's promises are to them too, and they are called to obey too. How will they know what to do? Well, in his grace, God spoke to them and told them. They heard God from the mountain. Verse 4. The Lord God spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire. Walt told us about this last week. 
the Lord revealed himself to his people, not in something they could see, but in speaking to them. What a privilege. And he's spoken to them the words of his covenant. Words which show what, show them what it looked like to live in relationship with him. But even then, as God lays out the covenant before them, his words begin with what he has done. Look at it in verse 6. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, we absolutely must start here, or we will misunderstand what these Ten Commandments are. See, they begin with what God has already done. He is the Lord, he says. That's his covenant name. It should have immediately reminded them that he is a faithful promise-keeping God, the enemy-defeating God who defeated the might of Pharaoh in Egypt. He is the rescuing God who heard their cries for mercy and who acted to save them. And he says that he is their God. He has bound himself to his people in covenant. He is their God and they are his people. He's already saved them to be his people. He brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery. Now that means that these commands are not a way to become his people. Keeping these commands is not a way to earn the privilege of belonging to God. They are already his people. They already belong to him. These commands are about what it looks like to live as his people. To live in loving relationship with God that flows out in loving relationship to others. I remember visiting a family once and they had family rules up on the wall. Things like be kind to each other and love God. And these describe what it looks like to live as part of their family. Now keeping those rules is not the way to earn a position in the family. I can't barge in and say, hey actually you know those rules. I've kept those rules, and now you need to make me a part of the family. I'll have the big bedroom down the hall. Thank you very much. That's not how it works, is it? And failing the rules, it doesn't put you out of the family, does it? They don't say, sorry kids, you didn't keep rule three tonight. You are out of the family. You can pack your bags. It <laughs> doesn't work like that, does it? No, this is what it looks like to live as part of the family. And that's what these commands are. It's not how to get into relationship with God. It's not how to stay in relationship with God. It's how to live as people who are in relationship with God, who are already graciously rescued by God to live as his people. These are the family rules for relating to their God and relating to each other in the family. Starting with living to love God. You know, these ten commandments, that we call them, which are the heart of God's covenant with his people, they can basically be broken into two halves. The first four, they talk about what it looks like to love God, and the last six talk about what it looks like to love others as a result. And these commands, they kind of form the edges of that gravel path through the dark rainforest, Right? the way to live in relationship with God and others. These commands give us an outline of the good life in loving relationship with the living God. 
Now, each one of these could easily be its own sermon. You'll be glad to hear I haven't done that to you today. We won't be here until three o'clock in the afternoon. But that means we are going to have to skim through these pretty quickly. It starts with being faithful to the Lord. Verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. The words before me are literally in front of my face. This isn't about priority. God's not saying, worship me first, but you can have other gods after me. That's all right. It's about exclusivity. God alone is their God, and they're to have no others. And this makes sense. They're in a covenant relationship with God. They belong to him. They've promised themselves to him. He is faithful to them and they are faithful to him. This is rule number one for what it looks like to live in relationship with God. Now, if these commands are like family rules, this is like the husband asking the wife to be faithful and not commit adultery, right? God is calling his people to have him alone as their God, not to run off after other gods. But it also matters how they worship him. That's the second commandment in verse 8. They're not to make themselves any idols, not as a way to worship other gods and not as a way to worship the Lord. Remember, he is a God who speaks, not a God who can be represented through anything that he's created. And this is actually grounded in God's character. He is a jealous God. He is jealous for his relationship with his people, jealous for his reputation before others. And this is actually right and good. There'd be something wrong if a husband didn't care enough about his wife to be jealous if she runs off with someone else. Because he's a jealous God and who cares deeply for his people and his reputation, he says he punishes those who do wrong. Even, he says, to the third and fourth generation. Now, this is not God punishing the innocent for the sins of their parents. This is the consequences of sin being passed down from one generation to next. And it happened. Uh, eventually, the whole nation spent 70 years in Israel in, in exile for breaking God's commands. But God is faithful even more so. <laughs> In verse 10, he says he shows his steadfast love to thousands of generations, those who, keep, who love him and keep his commandments. His love and faithfulness far outweighs his just punishment of sin. His mercy is more. See, living in a loving relationship with God also means treating his name with respect. That's the third command. Not to take his name in vain. They aren't to use his name to make promises that they're not going to keep or talk disrespectfully about the God who has saved them or claim to be his people and then act in such a way that brings his name into disrepute. They're to treat his name with respect. And they're to keep the Sabbath day holy. It's a day to rest. Them and their whole households, their slaves, their children, refugees, even their animals. And there's quite a list there. It's a day set aside for them to remember how God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. There, under their cruel Egyptian masters, they had to work seven days a week. But as the Lord's people, they get a whole day to rest and remember how God has rescued them from their slavery. This is what it looks like to live in relationship with the loving God. 
This, these commands reflect who he is. He's a faithful God, so they're to be faithful to him. He's a jealous God, so they're not to make idols. He's a God who's worthy of praise, so they don't use his name in vain. He's a God who rescued them from slavery, so they're to rest one whole day a week to rest and enjoy and remember his rescue. But this isn't just about how they treat God. This relationship should flow out in how they treat others. They're also meant to be living to love others. See, the rest of the commands are about how living as God's people should change the way they relate to each other. And again, these commands reflect God's character, his goodness and faithfulness to his people as the generous, life-giving God should mean that they're loving and generous and faithful to each other. First, it'll shape the way they treat their parents. Verse 16. Honour your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is really our first relationship, isn't it? The way we relate to our parents. Whether we're kids or adults, we're to treat our parents with honour and care. We're to be generous and faithful and treat them with respect in a way that honours God's character. And this is also key to God's commands being passed down from generation to generation. Kids are to honour their parents and listen to them as they pass down the story of what God has done for his people and how they should live for him. It's actually for their good, so that it will go well with them and that they may have long life. But it's wider than this. Uh, look at all the different ways that they're to love others. Verse 17. You shall not murder. God is the one who gives life. Human beings are made in his image. He has a prerogative to take life, but we don't. Let alone for our own selfish or hateful reasons. Loving others means not taking their life. You shall not commit adultery. Verse 18. God is faithful to his promises always. And adultery is disregarding our promises to take something for ourselves which is not rightfully ours. It's using others for our own sinful pleasure and disregarding how our actions hurt those we've promised to be faithful to. We are to be faithful as our God is faithful. You shall not steal. God is the one who gives generously. He provides for his people. To steal is to take from another because we want it for ourselves. We're taking matters into our own hands instead of trusting God to provide what we need. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. Verse 20. God is always true to his word. He doesn't say things that are false to, to gain advantage for himself. And he's always perfectly just. There's no evil in him. So his people should reflect that by not using false words to bear false witness and pervert justice. We should speak what is true. Now, these commands, they're about more than just not doing these things. They're kind of like the guide rails that show us the edge of the path. But they're meant to reveal our hearts, too, in a way that's much more profound. Remember, we saw this over the last term in the Sermon on the Mount. We saw how Jesus exposes the heart behind these commands. That if you harbour anger against your brother, you're guilty of breaking the command not to murder because you failed to love him. If you lust after someone who's not your spouse, you're guilty of adultery because you've not been faithful in your heart. Loving others is not meant to be just our outward actions, but about our hearts. And the 10th commandment actually makes this explicit. 
It's all about the heart. Verse 21. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, or his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. We're not to covet and desire something that belongs to someone else. Desiring something that God hasn't given you and wanting to have it above all else. Our God is generous and loving, but this is only seeking for ourselves. It's selfishness. It's not fitting for God's people who should be able to rejoice in the success that God has given to others without envy. Able to rest content in what God has provided us. These ten commands here, beginning with what God has already done for his people, they form the heart of what God has commanded his people, the heart of his covenant with them. And as we work through the rest of Deuteronomy over this term, we see Moses unpack for God's people all sorts of weird and wonderful laws. There are some weird and wonderful ones in there. We're going to see that he's actually just unpacking the implications of these ten commands. He's showing them what it looks like to live out this covenant in the land that God is giving them by loving God and loving each other. But these commands, they mean nothing unless we actually hear them and do them. The people must respond. That's where Moses goes next. Living in relationship with God means living in fear and obedience. Moses reminds them what happened when they heard these words from the mountain. The people were amazed, freaked out, terrified even. They have heard from the living God, the God of all creation. Verse 24. And he said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. We have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. See, dealing with God is dangerous business. He is perfectly holy and righteous and we aren't. He's the mighty and powerful creator and we are dependent creatures. They recognize that dealing with God is risky business. It's dangerous. If they hear God anymore, they will die. They need a go-between, a mediator, someone who can hear what God says and pass it on, and someone who can speak to God for the people. And so they ask Moses to do this job. God says that they're actually right in all that they've spoken. In fact, he longs that they would always see things so clearly. Verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. See, this is the right response to God's people to their gracious and powerful God. This is what it looks like to live in relationship with God. It begins with fearing him. Uh, This isn't the kind of terrified, sinful fear that would cause people to flee from God, to hide in the bushes like Adam and Eve. This is the trembling, awe-filled wonder, respect and joy in the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, who has rescued his people. 
This is the kind of fear that causes us to draw near in worship, to bow down in praise, to rejoice in him and to obey him. If we're truly filled with that right fear of God, we'll do what he says. We'll listen to him and take him seriously. We'll listen to his warnings and hear his commands. We'll want to obey because he is our gracious Lord God. And this is for our good. God doesn't give these commands because he's a miser trying to spoil our fun. He's not trying to test us to see if we'll do something difficult and arbitrary so that he can reward us. He commands these things so that it might go well for his people, that they may have life. It's like when I get my kids to eat their veggies. It's not some test. Will they do this very unpleasant thing to obey me? No. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not so I can reward them after that. It's not because I hate them and it's some kind of power trip to get them to eat vegetables. It's because I want their good, right? And eating veggies is actually good for them. And so Moses is calling God's people on the edge of the land to the same response, to fearing God, hearing and doing what he says for their good. But what about for us? We're nearly there. We aren't under this old covenant that Israel made at the mountain. What do these commands have to do with us? Well, first, I want to say they show us what our God is like. We worship the same God, a God who deserves reverence and awe, a God who is holy and righteous, a God who is faithful to his promises, a God who is jealous for his people and his reputation. He takes the initiative to save his people out of his great grace and faithfulness, even though we don't deserve it. This God is our God. And these commandments, they actually lay the foundation for the whole Old Testament. Through the Old Testament, we see time and time again how Israel falls short of keeping up their end of the covenant. You name a command and they broke it. Until God, faithful to his warnings, punished them by sending them into exile. But even then God was steadfast and sure. After 70 years, he restored them to land and his work of saving his people wasn't done yet, which brings us to Jesus. You see, these commands, they point us to Jesus. They show that we can never keep these commands on our own. We can't keep up our end of the bargain. We always fall short. We wander off the path into the swampy rainforest. We sin against God and we deserve his just judgment. But God, in his own mercy, sent Jesus his son. Jesus lived a perfect life, keeping these commands to a T, loving God and loving others perfectly. And then he died the death that we deserve to take the judgment we deserve for our sins. He took our penalty and he rose again to new life so that everyone who trusts in him has forgiveness. New life is saved from our sin, saved like Israel to be God's people. This passage also points us to how we need Jesus as our mediator, our go-between between God and us, so we can come to God with confidence as his sons through Jesus' death and resurrection. And as God's people saved in Jesus, these commands show us what it looks like to live in relationship with God. Living in relationship with God means loving God and loving others. These commands, they give us wisdom about how. 
So we need to listen up, to hear, to fear our God who has graciously saved us in Jesus and to obey what he's commanded, to be faithful, to worship God alone because he's faithful to us, to treat our God's name with respect and honour his name in the way that we act. To honour our parents, to not murder but cherish life, not steal or covet but be content and thankful. These commands give us wisdom for what it looks like for us to live as God's people saved in Jesus. And the good news is that we aren't left to our own devices. In Jesus, God is working in us through his spirit to write his law in our hearts, to change us to be more like Jesus, to help us to love him and to love others. This is the path God sets before his people, the path God sets before us. A good life, a loving life with the living God. Let's hear God's words. Let's fear him and let's obey him. We can do it because we are forgiven in Jesus and he is working in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the way that it reveals you to us, the way that it points us to Lord Jesus, the way that it gives us wisdom about what it looks like to live for him. Father, we confess that too often we have not treated you with the fear, the reverence, the awe that you deserve. We've not obeyed your commands. Forgive us, we pray. Thank you for the forgiveness we have in Jesus. Please work in our hearts so that we might have that right, joyful fear of you. And that we might live in a way that honours you as you work in our hearts through your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand, we're going to sing together about our God now. We're going to sing holy, holy, holy. Please stand, let's sing together.
God's people, it's good to have you with us. If you're visiting with us this morning, we hope you felt welcome and encouraged. We're really glad you're here. Um, do want to encourage you, stick around for morning tea, for a cuppa, Bicky, and a uh, chance to get to know each other. Uh, we will have picnic in the hall uh, after morning tea this morning. And uh, do say hello to David and, uh, and have a chat to him about the work of compassion as well. I will leave you with these words from the end of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.